Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here talking about the Farscape episode Rhapsody in Blue, which I feel like this was a monkey's paw situation where I'm like, I want to know more about Zan and Delvia. They seem like such cool characters and concepts. And I was really into it for the first quarter of the episode, and then it did its thing where it just kind of dragged its feet for the rest of the episode because they had like 20 minutes worth of material. So while I was watching this episode, I was really thinking about the Netflix TV show Maniac, Mm -hmm. which is a good show. I really enjoyed it. But the thing about Maniac is because it's a Netflix television show, some episodes are 28 minutes and some episodes are an hour and a half. It goes as long as it needs to go. Mm. And I was just thinking how much this episode would have benefited from being on a streaming network because there's so much in this episode that I love. And all the stuff I love is the really intense drama around John and Zan and the other Delvians and like questions of morality and ethics. And I love that bit, but it has to be an hour long. And it has to include the rest of the cast. God, yes. No one else has any reason to be in this episode. It just, it feels like a monkey's paw situation because I was so in and out of it this episode. Also, Uh I know my running gag on the show is complaining about X is wrong with the ship, or, well, not just with this show, but with all sci-fi. X is wrong with the ship. We need to fix X. But I think at this point in Farscape... Oh no, character Y is hallucinating is a bigger, more run-into-the-ground plot thing. Yeah, there's actually nothing wrong with the ship in this episode, but there is, in fact, an issue with everyone's mind. But again, they literally say, we'll get into it, but they literally say, we need to distract these other crew members, and so they mess with their heads specifically to keep them out of the set where the rest of the plot is happening. I'm just saying, I think at this point, every other episode is, hey, at least one member of the crew is hallucinating about something. I'm concerned about that being a concern for you. Because that's the rest of the show. Well, there is an extended plot coming up that does involve literally people messing with John's head. I'm not looking forward to that. Say that now, but you have not yet met Harvey. Okay. Is he a giant invisible rabbit? Uh, no, but that is the, his namesake. Ah. That, that is from whence the name comes. All right, so Rhapsody in Blue. So this episode was written by David Kemper, mm-hmm. and it has a story by credit with David Kemper and Roe Hume. We haven't seen David Kemper yet. This is his first credit, but he also wrote my very favorite three-parter. Ooh. I was going to say my very favorite three-parter is Look at the Princess, but you know what? The other three-parter is also very good. But he wrote Look at the Princess, which is a three-parter that I adore. Mm-hmm. And Ro Hume, we've seen, he wrote Exodus from Genesis. Oh, that was fine. Yeah. And this episode was directed by Andrew Prouse, who's one of the Farscape mainstays. He directed the premiere, he directed DNA Mad Scientist, and he's going to direct Look at the Princess. Oh, I did like DNA Mad Scientist. Yeah. I really felt like he did a good job at bringing the drama to the front of this episode. I think sometimes it's not easy when all of your actors are in full body paint Mm. to get a good dramatic performance from them. And I feel like he really did it. Yeah. So you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. 
So we open on John having sexy time with a blonde lady. Oh no, a blonde lady. Oh wait, wrong show. <laughs> she's either going to be evil or she's going to die. Yeah, no, wrong show. She's fine. Uh, I mean... Alex isn't evil. That is that. That is true. Alex isn't evil. This is Alex. They're having that kind of TV sex where the guy is shirtless, but the woman's wearing, like, stuff. Yeah, she has, like, a full negligee on, which is funny because, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for other women, but it, it seems like a very TV convention. Although there are roses on the table, and this is kind of like their goodbye sex, so I don't know, maybe she got dolled up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get super into it, but I feel like if you're in, if you're watching the middle of sex on TV and a character is still wearing a shirt, you're like, that's, that's just plain not realistic. Well, not to get like too into it, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to speak as like the large breasted contingent Mm -hmm. and say that I often keep a bra on during sex just for like comfort. Uh so. Okay. But this hot, hot sexual congress is interrupted by Alex going, hey, hey, I know we're in the middle of sex, but uh, I'm, I am I got a job offer somewhere else, and I'm going to take that job and fuck you, John. But not in the way I'm currently fucking you. In the long distance doesn't actually work, so this is goodbyesies. And he says, but wait, I'll always find you. Wait, no, that's the wrong show, too. <laughs> God. No, actually, he says, if we're meant to be together, we'll get back together, which I feel like is very mature. I appreciate that. You don't often see that kind of maturity on television. And he sadly shoves the ring box he was going to use to propose to her under the bed. Oh, no, y'all, John was going to propose, but she told him she's going to Stanford instead. He's like, he's like, that's 3,000 miles away. Nothing could possibly be further away than that. It's true. What's funny is she says that she's going to Stanford, and he says that he's going to go take part in the space program. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the premiere, they led us to believe that IASA was an Australian space program. It's international, don't you know? Yes. But later on, he will be American, even Mm -hmm. though it's all shot in Australia. So I think it's interesting that when he says he has to go where the space program is, the show declines to say where that is. It's 3,000 miles away from Stanford. There you go. That could be a lot of places. So, Actually, that could be a very limited number of places. That's true. You do that thing you used to do in geometry class where you like take the compass and you make a circle. Yeah. You know what? I said that they implied he was in Australia, but now, now that I'm thinking about it, I think the pilot might have actually said that he was at uh, Cape Canaveral. Well, his dad was a real He-Man U.S. military type. Yeah. We could easily check this, but I'm not going to. Eh. Oh, but John sexfully wakes up from his sexy sex dream. Yeah, he's awoken by the ship going through a particularly violent starburst, and um, I just have to say, I see you managed to get your shirt off. <laughs> yes, he falls head over ass directly into the camera, which, okay, Brian Henson, fine. Yeah, he uh, he flexes his pecs at the camera there, his his shirtless pecs. Did they just have someone throw Ben Browder? Because he kind of does this weird flip across the room. He moves a lot. Like, it's funny because you don't really pay attention to it because the ship is shaking. But no, that's just the camera shaking. That That's that's all Ben Browder doing a flip like that. Good, 
Good job, Ben Browder. Look at you being all athletic and wearing nothing except your white boxers. Also, God, it's weird to see a dude wearing boxers. I, I have no comment on that. We, I feel like we had a really long discussion about boxers versus briefs versus other kinds of underwear in a previous podcast. But I feel like boxers would not be the underwear you would wear to go into space. And I have a hard time believing he has new underwear. He, he has to wash that pair all the time. I hadn't thought about the underwear you would wear to go into space. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Mm. Huh. I mean, I would certainly be wearing, like, my most comfortable underwear if I was going into space. And I, so I, I don't know what's the most comfortable underwear for men. I mean, personally, I like support, which I would imagine most guys do, but... As per our previous discussion about leaving my bra on, so do I. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so moving away from undergarments. Hmm. Well, not really. We're just going to move back to Ben Browder's undergarments because he's woken up from his dream by the Starburst and we see him in just his boxers in his room. And then in the next shot, he's on command. That was a totally gratuitous shot. We did not... Well, I mean, I'm not going to say we didn't need it, but no, I mean, it wasn't technically required. Yeah, it's like, uh, again, I haven't actually seen, what is it, Enterprise? What's that Star Yeah, Enterprise is the one where they have the decontamination shower. Yep, where every episode starts with like 15 minutes of the crew showering. Yeah, well, let's talk about Command because um, this is a really horny episode. So they... It's the first queer content we've got in Farscape, sort of-ish. It's definitely the first queer content, but right now I'm just going to talk about the horniness of the fact that Erin also runs onto the ship and she's just wearing a tank top. And, oh, you know, John did bring multiple pairs of underwear because she's also wearing boxers. And John is like, is that my underwear? So did he bring multiple pairs of boxers onto his... Onto his, onto his trip that was only supposed to last, like, a moment. Okay, well, I mean, I guess it's good to be prepared. Was he a Boy Scout in the past? Oh, I'm sure John was an Eagle Scout. Uh, by the way, uh, tank top and boxers is a vastly underrated look on women. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I don't even mind that they stole a Back to the Future joke here. Mm-hmm. He says, that's my underwear, and she says, it says Calvin. It's Calvin's underwear. God. Uh. So it turns out that this extended starburst happened because Moya thought she heard the distress call of another pregnant Leviathan, and Leviathans are all about the sisterhood, which I like. So she decided she had to get out there. So uh, speaking of reproduction. All right. John shares that his dream that he was awoken from was of the last time he was having sex. And it turns out Rigel and Dargo were also dreaming of the last time they had sex. I'm going to pull a red flag on this. Uh, Rigel has previously stated that his uh, species does not reproduce sexually in that way. They are not body breeders. Yes. When uh, Zan tried to seduce him, he made a point of saying that, you know, they're not body breeders. He's not into that sort of thing. Also, there's a gross moment where he's like, Yes, I dreamed of wriggling around in my pile of wives, and John's like, oh, pile of wives, high five, dude. Which, ugh, ugh. I know, and I feel like that's actually kind of out of character for John. Yeah, I also think it's out of character for John. 
and uh, yeah, he he high fives Rigel over the fact that he had multiple wives, which I mean, welcome wh- to lots of places, John. Welcome to Utah. Aw, poor Utah. But uh, Darko's like okay. I I I want to like retract your flag though, mm-hmm. because Rigel doesn't say he dreamt of the last time he was having sex. He says he dreamt of his last mating session, which could have just been him spraying over the eggs. Of his many wives. Yeah. Uh, I I'm I'm keeping my red flag here. He's not a body breeder. We have no way. Uh, we have no reason to think that. Oh, you know what? I'm going to retract my retraction because when he's complaining about Moya, he says, I like my wives pregnant and my ship's cold to the touch. If he's not a body breeder, his wives wouldn't be pregnant. Okay, nope. Retraction, retract it. Flag on the play. Yeah. So Dargo is also having sexy dreams about his dead wife who died and was, you know, a sebation and is now dead from death. Yeah, yeah. Later on in this episode, we're also going to learn that Zan was also dreaming about the last time she had sex. So here's my question. Aaron is silent. Aaron is very conspicuously silent. Uh, Zan denies that she was having a sex dream of any kind, which but is... But that's a lie. Yeah, which is very weird for Zan. That's true. She's normally not... Well, we'll learn this isn't about prudishness. It's about something else. Yeah, but you'd think if she was trying to avoid looking suspicious, she would be like, I always have dreams about sex. Sex, 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 sex. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Although I will say... I'm not going to say that this is out of character the way what John said is out of character, because we know that she is disturbed by her dreams. Mm. Also, she's wearing pajamas, which I wouldn't imagine Zan would. Is she? Well, she's wearing something. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, It's just confusing because everything is the same color as her skin. I think that that's the opposite of pajamas. I think that that is her bedclothes tied around her. No, no. My point is she has bedclothes. One would assume that she sleeps. No, no, sheets. The bedclothes are sheets. Oh. I think those are her sheets tied around her. That's still more modesty than I tend to ascribe to Zan. Yeah. Also, we've seen that the sheets on Moya are gold, and the thing that she has tied around her is blue. Hmm. Huh. What is going on here, Zan? (laughs) Huh. These are all things that I did not think about before watching this episode with you. So they get a distress call from more of uh, Zan's people, the Delvians. This Delvian lady with hair, which, by the way, so fucking weird. So weird. Okay, so I was reading, like, the backstage stuff, and Virginia Hay was like, oh, this is my favorite episode because you get to know so much more about Zan. You get her, you, she gets to have so much more depth. And I was really pissed off after I had to shave my head to find out that other Delvian women had hair. Well... If it makes her feel better, it looks awful. Yeah, she also said in the little interview excerpt I was reading from her that when they were on the set, they were joking that everyone looked like a cartoon little old woman with her hair dyed blue. Yeah, yeah. So this Delvian lady's on the screen and she's like, I'm sorry for the deception, but I'm afraid we needed to talk. To Pa-U-Zan. Help us, Pa-U-Zan. You are our only hope. Farscape credits. And then we go to credits. Spice. No, wait. Wrong, wrong. Oh. <laughs> Question. Is Picard an albino Delvian? Uh, no. Picard is a Frenchman. Couldn't you tell from his love of tea and sexy English accent? 
we haven't watched the Picard show. I feel weird that I haven't watched Picard. I heard... I mean, I have CBS All Access. There's literally nothing stopping me from watching Picard. Except my fear of being disappointed, I think. Yeah, I think that's what it is. You're afraid there's not going to be any sexy candle ghosts in it? I mean, Picard is already really sexy. Like, we can acknowledge that. I don't know. I just... I don't know. Are you saying that you don't want to see that episode, but with Picard in the uh, Crusher role? No, I would definitely watch that. I would definitely watch an episode where Picard was in the Crusher role. Well, I mean, I love the episode where he is on Ryza having, like, sex with his archaeology fuck buddy until she runs off with Q. God. Have I shown you that one? No. People talk about Picard like he's, like, the big rule captain. I don't know. Maybe it's just the episodes you've shown me. I mean, he's like the diplomacy captain. I, I, okay, so. I don't know. He does a lot of grumpy cat face for a diplomacy captain. I mean, I think the most essential Next Generation episode for understanding who Picard is. Is it the one where he gets asteroid juice and then had to has to live a whole life so he can remember that one society that got blown up? The Inner Light. No. It's uh, Darmok. Which is the episode, you don't like, okay, so I refer to Darmok as Ally Mine, because it's like the movie Enemy Mine, except everything is solved with diplomacy, where he goes to another planet and just, like, connects with an alien that he can't understand on such a deep level that he learns their language and is able to avert war with them. Like, that's Picard. So it's not that he's the rules-following captain, it's that he's the diplomacy captain. I know just based on... The fact that we can have entire conversations that are nothing but Simpsons quotes and still have them make sense. I mean, that- That this is a thing. That episode foresaw memes. It pisses me off so much that there's an entire culture that communicates entirely through memes. Like, I find that vastly irritating. Even though, yes, it became reality. I mean, I'm just- I, I, I don't really know what to say to you other than to- Show you your Twitter feed? Like, show you your own Twitter feed? Yes, yes, I'm aware. I'm aware that I have used Simpson GIFs to have entire conversations with people. But it bothers me. I think they should have just blown that planet up. This is why I would not be a good Starfleet captain. You're definitely more Kirk than Picard over here. Well, no, actually, I'd say you're more Cisco, right? Oh, Janeway. Or Janeway, yeah. Okay, because here's the breakdown. Okay. Well, I mean, honestly, it's like, fuck diplomacy kill, right? Yeah, oh God. Kirk would fuck them, Picard is the diplomacy captain, and Janeway would just kill them. Fuck diplomacy kill. She got stuff done, mostly killing people. All right, speaking- I'm I'm not familiar with Voyager. This is all just, uh, what's that thing that you're not allowed to bring into court? Hearsay. Hearsay? Yeah. All right, speaking of people who are lost in space. Yes. Way to, way to bring it back around. Thank you. I was I was happy with that. So on the planet, Talene, who's the Delvian we saw in the communication, is showing her temple to Zan and John and Aaron. And it turns out that the way they do this is they had a ship that landed on the planet. A missionary ship. Yes. Yes. Which is weird because you don't usually think of Delvians in missionary. <clears throat> Sorry. 
No, no, that's what I meant. Yeah, I was not. That's what you were going That's for. what I was going for. No, but they landed the ship and then the ship got so hot. I mean, this was the plan. The ship was designed to get so hot that it would kind of melt the ground beneath it and then be stuck there as their underground temple. And then it essentially turned into where they live. Mm. I think it's kind of cool. Zan is disturbed that Talene used deception to bring them here. Really, Zan? <laughs> right? I mean, didn't you just have a whole thing? Anyway, but I like that she was only really able to bring them because their ship is alive. So she could mess with the mind of their ship. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. That is kind of neat. So Talene's like, yeah, look, we've been isolated for a pretty long time here. So maybe my moral code is a bit different than yours. Remember that, audience, it might be important later. Yeah, this episode might be about moral codes. Also, if you want to get into the symbolism of it, they have to get down into the ship because the surface of this planet is toxic. The air here is toxic. Meanwhile, a Delvian in a blue floppy hat is following them at a few paces behind, hiding behind things. Hiding behind the sticks of an orchard of dead trees. Mm. So down in the ship in the temple, Talene is showing them around and she offers to John and Aaron that they can go to the food stores and take as much food as they want because the food grows when you take it. So take I, a lot. I do like her phrasing. She tells them to be greedy because the food gr- uh, the food grows faster when you pick it. I just like the, f- the phrasing, you please be greedy. Yeah, that's a good point, especially since this is all going to be about... What What is and is not, you know, moral, okay. acceptable, greedy, yes. selfish. Yeah. Uh, Zan, when she is alone with Talene, tells her that she's pissed off about the dream she had. So this is where we learn that she did, in fact, have a troubling dream. And she knows that it came from Talene. And Talene's like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> If you think you're pissed off now, wait until you get my whole plan later. Right? Oof. So, meanwhile, John and Aaron are in the food stores, and John's, like, super into what they're supposed to be eating, which is this, like, part plant, part animal thing. And he's like, it's all nutrition you need in this weird eel-like package. And he waves it in Aaron's face, and Aaron's like, yeah, I don't know why I came. I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. John is... Being excited about finding new stuff. He's being kind of the person who is open and young, you know, like young and excited about weird tube alien monsters, strange alien creatures that are used for food. And Aaron's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I brought my gun, even though they told me I'm not supposed to. Yes, that is specifically why Dargo remained on the ship. They're not supposed to bring weapons. And Aaron's like, yeah, but what if I brought weapons? John says about the creature that is the food creature, I dub you Trigopod. And okay, first of all, John, it probably has its own name. Seriously. But also, I kind of felt like this was a real Adam in the Garden of Eden thing, Mm -hmm. which was another thing I liked about this, right? Because this is supposed to be kind of a new paradise where these Delvians are going to go and create a new world, but we're going to learn that... All, all, all is not good in this garden, as, as, as represented by the literally dying trees that are the symbol of this episode. 
John starts complaining to Aaron. He's like, you have no magic in your soul, Aaron. You can't appreciate how beautiful it is around here and how amazing this creature that's part plant and part animal is. There's probably nothing like it in the universe. This is unique in the universe, which is a weird jump to make, John. Um, Aaron doesn't really have any lines here, but as always, Claudia Black's face acting, her dubious look at him is amazing. I'm worried that at some point writers decided they didn't have to write lines for Aaron because Claudia Black would just do it all on her face. That one I didn't mean to sound dirty. So, Talene is like, Zan, look, we've got this little insanity problem going on Oof. and uh, we know that you used to be insane but then you like powered through it or whatever can you teach us how to power through being insane and zan's like it's not really the sort of thing you can teach well this is going to be another theme throughout this episode she says that they're having a problem with the insanity because they went too fast and she also says that she doesn't have any shortcut she powered through the insanity over, we will learn later, 17 cycles. Like, there's not a shortcut to this. Hmm. But Talene is like, okay, but what if you teach me this and I teach you this trick? And she puts the brain whammy on John. Like, she goes into his mind to see this image of him as a child looking at sea snakes in the ocean and she alters the memory so that John fell into the water. Yeah, she makes it so that John, when he was exploring something as a child on the beach, almost drowned. She literally is taking away that sense of wonder that we saw in in his conversation with Aaron. Like, that's the point of putting that memory in his head. Mm. Which is really fucked up. Yeah, you're not exactly doing a good job making your point to Zan. Right, in fact, Zan is like, um, change him back. <laughs> what? No! Don't do that! <laughs> and, like, I love Aaron pulls her gun, and Talene's like, ah, miracles of the mind. You have power that we can't understand, but we have power that you can understand. Show me yours, and I'll show you mine, Zan. And Zan's like, yours is bad. And poor Aaron. Like, I don't want to do that. Poor Aaron. She hates it whenever there's a problem she can't shoot. <laughs> also, I mean, I know it's not exactly the same, but can't Zan not exactly do that? But, like, I'm just thinking back to her fight with the wizard guy. And, like, she talks about what she does at the end of the episode, like it's a new ability. But it's kind of what she did in her fight against the wizard guy to help out John. Well, the new ability she has is that she makes it so that John is not affected by that power. Mm. That's her ability. I guess that's different than shooting death magic out of your brain at someone to stop them from hurting someone else. Yeah, and I mean, we, ha- we aren't there yet, but I think that's an important distinction that Talene is offering her an offensive power. And what she gains instead at the end of this episode is a power to protect other people. Mm. So. Spoilers. Spoilers for the end of this episode that we're talking about. I'm not really sure how she got from point A to point B there, power-wise. Well, I mean, everything that I just said is symbolic, but theoretically she also has the power that Talene had, and that that just comes with the power to protect people from it. She probably could also get in people's head and fuck with them now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, 
Meanwhile, back at the ship, we have to spend 15 minutes with assholes because their names are, you know, front credited. I mean, it's literally like 15 seconds where Dargo's like, hey, I think all those weird dreams we had were from the Delvians because... Duh. Delvians? I I actually like this because the fact that he has to tell this to Rigel and this wasn't something Rigel originally knew or assumed is a nice reminder that... In this world, all races don't know each other. So Luxans and Delvians know about each other, but Hynerians don't know that much about Delvians. So he didn't jump to the conclusion that the Delvians had been messing with his brain. Which is stupid of him. <laughs> I not- mean, he has known Zan long enough. Yeah, and like, huh, do you think maybe the blue people who are trying to lure us here who can do brain magic might be responsible for those weird dreams we were all having? Okay, yeah, but like... The kind of brain magic Xan does where it's like, I can share your pain and, I mean, she did kill that one guy, but for the most part, <laughs> her brain magic is like, I can share your pain and I can be at peace and I love my body. And I feel like it's the difference between, you know, actual Wiccans and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, I thought you were going to be... Uh actual Wiccans and Willow when she goes to her witch group in season four of Buffy. Oh, it's like the difference between that witch group and what Willow can do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Rigel was not ready for season six Willow. Also, I like that here, instead of like putting your hand on a book and sucking the powers out, you suck it out through sex. Of course. That sounded worse than I meant. God. (laughs) This episode is so dirty. I'm sorry. The episode is really horny. It is. So, blah, blah, John, blah, blah, life tree. Yeah, John goes to the root, the tree that is kind of the the center of power, the, the temple, right? Like, the sanctity root. It's like the, uh, the tree in Avatar. Oh, God, it's been so long since I've seen Avatar, but I think I remember what you're talking There's about. There's like a life tree. Mm. Anyway, while John is at the tree, Tuzak, who's the old guy who was in the orchard on the surface, comes down just to give ominous warnings to John and let him know that Zan is in danger here. He says that uh, he calls John a peacekeeper and John's like, I'm not a peacekeeper. And he's like, you are, I am insane because... I touched inside what you need to touch outside. Herbie Birdie I'm like cribbing directly from the Drusilla book of how to write people with mental problems. Okay, yes, true. Although I do have to say, other than this one scene, nothing that he says sounds like TV insanity. Hmm. He sounds completely with it in every other scene. And I think that that's intentional. I think he's playing it up. I think he is more sane than he wants his temple mates to know. He's just being theatrical so they'll let him wander around. Yeah, I think so. Meanwhile, uh, Aaron is having like a bout of verbal fisticuffs with some dude Delphian who's like, Hey, peacekeeper, I want to get your, like, I may be peaceful, but I want your ass out of here. Well, yeah, because she brought a weapon. They said don't bring any weapons, and she came down with a weapon. Yep, it's true. It's not what you should do. And uh, 
he runs crying to uh, Eileen. Lorana. Loran. Lorana. Oh, this. He runs crying to Lorana, who is different than the other one, than the other Delvian, but I, I have a hard time telling them apart because they both have the same sort of weird bouffant hair thing. Yeah, okay, so the Delvians that we're going to see are Terline, who is the head Delvian, mm. Tuzak, who was the head Delvian until he succumbed to the madness, and then these two, who are the two acolytes we see, who are Hasco and Lorana. Lorana and what's your face? Trilline. Trilline. Both have real designing women haircuts. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, I was going to go with Golden Girls, but oh, yeah. 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 Anyway, Hasco is like, hey, I'm going to speak around the thing I'm speaking of, but I think that what Trilline is doing is ethically questionable. And Lorena is like, you're just mad that now I'm having sex with her instead of you. Yes, we have a non-straight character in uh, Farscape. Yeah. I mean, they're from the sex-obsessed blue people, but still. still. I mean, this show actually has same-sex sex on screen, right? Like, we are actually going to see Zan and Terlene have sex. Well, it's I mean... questionable. Oh, go ahead. They have sex in the same way Willow and Tara had sex when they were connecting to the spirit realm in that one episode. Well, I mean, it's much more like the gems. Unity's basically fusion. I know, but it just, it it comes off like the giant flaming O. Yeah. Where, it's not subtle, but it's sex where it's like, look, we're, we're holding hands and making moaning noises at each other. That's true, but unlike in the... Buffy episode, which I will give you is very sexual. This is explicitly how we have sex. Also, I think this came out like a month before that episode. Hmm. I think the flaming O is better, but I, God, they had such natural chemistry. I know. It just bugs me when you see like, you see later stuff where the actresses don't have the same chemistry. I mean, honestly. Are you talking about Kennedy? You're, you're like subtweeting Kennedy right now. I, honestly, I was actually talking about a bunch of CW shows that have like oh. lesbian characters and like they're making out all the time, but they have no chemistry. Well, I feel like with the CW, they figure that as long as the people are attractive, that's all they need to do. And sometimes that's not all you need to do. Yes. But that was also a subtweet to Kennedy. The Flaming O is way more sexual than anything Willow did with Kennedy and they made out all the time. You know, right after Willow's girlfriend died. I'm sorry, I hate Kennedy so much. I mean, I feel like you're implying that Willow didn't grieve sufficiently. She ripped off a guy's skin. If that's not grieving, I don't know what is. Well, I mean, I get it. More time passed in universe or whatever. But... Kennedy never acted respectfully vis-a-vis the whole Terra thing or magic. Like, she's just so dismissive of like, oh, yeah, you can do magic, whatever, to Willow. Oh, and plus she yelled at that girl until she killed herself. Yeah, no, that's bad. That's bad. I mean, really, I just didn't want you to put any blame on Willow, who I feel like was moving on in a way that is appropriate. Yeah. I, yeah, no, Kennedy, I'm not, I'm not a Kennedy fan, no. I'm sure Kennedy fans exist, and I'm sorry, but 
she's just so bad. Do Kennedy fans exist? I don't know. I feel like she is kind of universally reviled. Like, I've been reading this blog consistently, uh, Mark Watches, which is just this guy uh, who goes through all of these different things and, you know, talks about them. Mm -hmm. And he went through Buffy and he talks about how he's like, it's weird because Kennedy's a queer woman of color and, you know, she's this very strong character and she's the sort of character I tend to connect with on a really deep level and I just don't like her. Like, he talks about, it It's it was in his end of season wrap-up, where he's like, I was really expecting to love this character, and I just don't. Okay, okay, so here's the question. What do you think there are more of? Kennedy fans or Riley fans? Oh, God. Is there anyone who thinks that Riley was the right person for Buffy to be with? I think there might be more Riley fans. I'm going to put this out there. I I don't like any of Buffy's boyfriends. Yes, I'm aware. I think Buffy should have ended up single, which she did. Mm -hmm. I think all of her boyfriends were bad. I think Riley was the least bad boyfriend she had on the show. Okay. But it's such a low bar. Like, Riley was the least bad. He didn't try to kill or sexually assault her at any point in the show. Like congratulations dude uh, okay i i do ship spike and buffy mm-hmm. i have things to say about spike's moral character yes but this is not the right platform for that it is not but yes i prefer riley to kennedy as like just a human i feel bad even saying that as a love interest for a main character in buffy I mean, my favorite love interest for any main character is Anya. Yes. Because she's amazing. But then not because she deserves so much better than Xander Harris. God. I mean, mine was Tara. Yes, I know. Yes, yeah. of course. But I like Willow, right? Like, I like Anya more than I like Tara, but I don't want to say she's my favorite love interest because... Oh, poor Anya. <laughs> Stuck with Xander. Her friendship with Andrew was very sweet. That was a very sweet part of the last season. Yes. I'm sorry, Farscape. We were talking about Farscape. John comes in to where Hasco and and learns that Aaron has gone back to Moya on the transport ship. And that Zan is staying behind, but that she wants John to stay with her because... She wants to stay behind for now, but she doesn't want to make this like a permanent thing. Oh, no, she wants to stay here permanently. Oh, she does? Yeah. She doesn't want John to stay here permanently. Then I don't get what she's doing. She hasn't reached her decision yet about what she wants to do. Mm. In fact, that's why she wants John to stay. She wants to... I do like that they make it very clear that these Delvians do not have a map back to Delvia. They're like, look, when we became pilgrims, we were like, fuck it, and we just blasted off into space and didn't take any notes or anything. So we can't help you find your way back to Delvia, Zan, or other people so that you can orient yourself in the universe. Right. I like that Zan is asking John to be her moral compass, since she's usually the voice of morality in the show. And so she's... Is she? Because she, she was all on team, let's cut off uh, Pilot's arm. Let me, let me, uh, let me re... 
reorient that sentence. As the priest, you would expect Zan to be the moral center of the show, but she recognizes that John is the person who really has, like, humanity. Yes. I mean, not to get, like, whatever about it. Not to crawl up humanity's ass like every sci-fi show feels like it needs to. No, no, I mean humanity, like, compassion. Like, I I mean humanity lowercase h. Yes. Like, John. But, I mean, come on. Yeah. The only human guy is the one person who can empathize with other people better than the actual empath whose power is empathy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I I feel for Zan, though. I mean, I think one of the reasons John is compassionate in the show is because he hasn't seen a lot at this point. Like, Zan is contemplating doing something really bad, but... I don't know if she would be wrong. I-, I think that the show gives us, as the viewers, a kind of convenient moral out by making Terlene really explicitly bad. But this question is not out of bounds. The question, the moral question that Xana is going to have to face is not out of bounds. Hmm. I, honest to God, I was kind of in and out of this episode, so well, I don't remember what it was. Let's talk about it then. So, Zan asks Terlene to show John, you know, her past. So, I I don't know why she doesn't want to tell him. Well, I guess because it's TV and showing is better than telling. Showing is better than telling! And I had a light week! (laughs) Yeah. So, Terlene is going to put into John's head the image of the last time Zan had sex. Okay, also, hey, person I don't know very well, who has, you know... Shown herself very willing to use deceit to get what she wants. Why don't you take a memory of a very specific thing and put it into the head of a guy whose memories you altered all willy-nilly to demonstrate that you have the power to alter memories? Okay, but you- Is Zan supposed to be dumb? Wait. Am I dumb? I don't see why that's necessarily a bad thing. Because- Oh, oh, you're worried- You're worried that she would show John something other than what happened. Yeah. Well, Which she's proven she can very, very easily do. Well, from Zan's point of view, what happened is uh, Zan is is ashamed. It, like this is this is her most shameful memory. So. Oh, also, let's give my most shameful memory to this lady I just met and don't trust. Well, but she already knows. Like, yeah, I know. Zan That's is, why Zan's famous for this. Yeah. But like. I feel like there's lots of good reasons why she should just tell John and not involve Zerlina at all. Turlene. 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 Okay. I'm sorry, just write to that episode of Daria with the elderly substitute. <laughs> Darlene. It's such a nicer name. <laughs> So, anyway, John gets the memory. Yeah, Zan was having sex with a dude, and then she killed him using brain powers during sex. Yeah, and John's like, what the fuck? Why would you show me that? Also, why would you implant that directly into my head instead of just telling me? Also, with no context. All of a sudden, I'm, like, sitting here, and then the next thing I know, I'm, like, visualizing you killing a guy in the middle of sex. See? This doesn't make any sense. This is the literally the worst way to convey this information. Yeah, no, okay, good point, good point. <laughs> a- 
anyway, Zan gives him some background now. She tells him that Bital was their leader and Zan was an acolyte. And then you know what happens with leaders and acolytes. You know, she they fell in love. They start having sex. Ugh. Yeah. Inappropriate. It was inappropriate. And Bital, the man's name was Bital, was not a good dude. Mm. Because when his tenure as leader was over, instead of passing on the leadership in whatever manner Delvians pass on leadership. Probably sex. Probably. But instead of doing that, he hired the peacekeepers to come and kill everyone who opposed him and kept power by force. So, you know. Dick move, bro. But also, like, Zan was a revolutionary. Like, I, I'm i on Zan's side. Yes, definitely oppose people who come in and try to take over your world by force. Like, yes. Yes. That is good. And and that's why I feel like this is a moral question. This kind of thing would normally make a Delvian insane because, and I like this, she explains this to John too, if you use your powers, your priest powers, for something dark like this, then the... Darkness consumes you. Yeah, I like it. It keeps it from being like a show-breaking power. Yeah. I mean, it's it's what they do with Willow's magic in season seven. Like, the more power you use, the, like, if if you are tapping into dark energies, you become dark. If you're tapping into light energies, you're probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, Terlene wants Zan to show her how to not get consumed by the darkness so that they can fight and retake their world. Like, from that explanation of it, I am on Terlene's side. Mm. Yeah. Except it'll drive everyone insane. Well, that's why she wants the power from Zan to not be driven insane. Yeah, but Zan has that power by, you know, being insane for 17 years and getting over it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is the crux of it. And honestly, this is the kind of crux of what makes Terlene a character that we're allowed to dislike. That she's trying to do everything with shortcuts. The reason they're giving into the madness now is because they were trying to develop their powers too quickly. And now, instead of spending 17 years meditating the way Zan did, they want to just, like, rip the ability to do it out of Zan's head and take another shortcut. I mean, to be fair, that other dude, the, the red dude, helped Zan do it really easily in the episode where she had to kill that uh, space wizard guy. Yeah, but we decided he's not a Delvian. Yeah, uh, well, apparently he's not a Delvian because we see Dudevians in this and they're also blue. I mean, I maintain that they were originally thinking he would be a Delvian, but but he was not. Oh, fun fact. After this episode, we don't see this many Delvians again because the makeup artists fucking hated having to do this every single day they were shooting this episode. Understandable. There were, like, five people that they had to paint blue from head to foot every day. Uh, And honestly, they didn't need the two acolytes. They just needed one. Well, no, I think they needed two because they needed the one who was loyal and the one who was starting to question. Mm. Again, I feel like this episode should have been, like, 20 minutes and then they could have cut some of this. I think if they cut everything that happens on the ship, we would have been good. Hmm. I don't think you needed to cut any of the Delvian stuff. The Delvian stuff actually moves pretty quickly when you're watching it if you don't have the ship stuff going on. But how would this episode work if Rigel didn't think he was shrinking? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. But first, I have to tell this story, which I'm pretty sure I've told on this podcast before, but 
All right. Because it has to do with painting people head to foot. Oh, is this about your Lornette costume? This is about my Lornette costume. So a friend of mine and I, my Colleen, my cosplay partner when I lived in the Southeast, uh, we went as Lornettes to Dragon Con, which involved painting us from head to foot green. And the Lornettes from the Angel episode where Lorne was working at a casino, the Lornettes wear like black lingerie. So we were like head to foot painted green and it was a pain in the ass. And I was like, no, never again. No more outfits where I have to paint myself green. And then, of course, I tried to do She-Hulk. No, it's such a pain. Yes. But I was walking through the autograph section, like on my way somewhere, I was walking down the hall and Gigi Edgley says, oh my gosh, you look great. And I was like, thank you. And she goes, oh my gosh, that must have been such a pain to do. And I was like, you would know. You would know. I was so excited. It's my favorite celebrity encounter ever. (laughs) Gigi Edgley, for people who are just listening to us and are not watching ahead on the show, Mm -hmm. is going to come up on the show later. She is Chiana. That cat lady. The cat lady. (laughs) I will say this again when we meet her for the first time, but she moves in a cat-like motion, the way the... uh, Because she thought it was going to be a one-off character and didn't know she'd have to do it for four years. Yes. I have so much sympathy for that. I mean, can you imagine? It would be unpleasant. It would be unpleasant. Anyway, so Turlene tells her acolytes to keep the rest of the crew distracted so that she can deal with Xan and the rest of the crew doesn't like try to come down onto the planet. She says, uh, distract them with their hopes and fears as you would- She says, attack them with their hopes and fears. As you would your child. I just, I don't think she'd be a good mom. (laughs) Exactly. That was was exactly my point, yes. So, meanwhile, John is having a sad one. (gasps) Oh my god, it's that blonde lady he was making sex at earlier. Yeah, Lorana turns herself into Alex- and, uh, oh my god, it's just like that thing where Dargo thought that Zan was floopy, that lady he knocked up. Okay, yeah, but that was because of... Because you got covered in Moya's space jizz. Yeah, that was because Dargo was high. This is somebody actually messing with John's memories, right? Lorana makes herself look like Alex, and... She, like, we see her changing John's memories one by one so that now he thinks that Alex... Went to Ayasa with him. Yeah, and was on the mission with him and, like, ended up on Moya with him and has been all the, and has been on all of these adventures with him. She played by the same actress because... Yeah, it's yeah. the same actress. I'm trying to remember... Does, does Alex come up? I was trying to remember if Alex came back. You know what? I am going to look that up. Yeah, no, this actress does not come back. Also, since I would look this up anyway... Mm-hmm. Uh, Darlene Vogel, the actress, is American and one of the very few non-Australians to appear on Farscape. So the actress's name is Darlene. Yes, the actress's name is Darlene. And the character's name is Bargleen. No, the character's name is Lorana. Turlene is the other one. Tur- okay. <laughs> Turlene. I have to say, the thing about the thing you have about alien names. Mm-hmm. Um, always makes me laugh because it's so similar to the thing that John has about alien names. <laughs> yes, it's true. The difference is it's delightful when I do it and it's irritating when John does it. Aw. <laughs> because I genuinely can't remember them and John is a fictional character who's being controlled by a narrative. 
So you feel like he should remember them more? Yes. Also, he's a scientist and I'm very much not. So you think he should have a better memory for those types of things? Yes. Interesting thought. Also, I think he should check with people before renaming stuff, John. But Yes! Thank you! God, you know, I'm not often, like, annoyed at John's, like, hubris. Manifest destiny-ish. Yes, exactly. But that, I'm not a fan of that in this episode where he's like, I'm going to name this little creature. The trip, the whatever. They probably have a name for it, John. Yeah. Little calamari creature. It looks good. I want to eat it deep fried. Okay. So Zan goes back up to the planet. And the old Delvian guy's like, hey, I know everyone says that I'm crazy, but I'm not. And, like, you can't trust... Turlene. You can't trust Turlene. She's bad. She's trying to steal your man. She's bad news bears. And she's just trying to get your death brain powers so, you know, she can kill people. And she doesn't respect that... You need to nurture something so it can grow properly. And if you try to make it grow too fast, it'll just die. Yeah, he uh, he's tending to the orchard of dead trees. And he says the young don't tend to the roots anymore. Mm. The young refuse to tend the orchard, which is kind of the, the theme of this episode. Okay, I, boomer. I know, right? I was like, <laughs> millennials are killing the truth root industry. <laughs> God. Although I do also like the exchange they have where Zan says, you know, I know you, I I, res- I I respect your teaching. And he says, I know who you are. I respect your choice of murder victim. He doesn't seem very insane. Right? Exactly. Like, he's like, no, I'm totally insane. I gave in to my darker impulse. And Zan's like, what darker impulse? And he's like, hey, shut up. <laughs> So Zen wants some wisdom from him, and she asks him, if I teach Terlene my methods, will she use it to hurt people? And he's like, yeah. That's, that's literally what your method is. What, what do you think we're doing here, Zan? No, yes. no. She's going to use the power that you have to kill people with your brain to not kill people with her brain. What a stupid <laughs> question. I mean, he's nicer about it than we are because he's a priest who, like, his whole purpose is to talk about patience. So, of course, he's nicer about it. But, Zan, come on. <laughs> Seriously. Oh. So, on the ship, we see that... Well, we see that the Dudevian is using his brain powers on the people on the ship. Yeah, Hasco. He makes Aaron think that her pulse pistol has fallen apart. And he makes Dargo think that Joffy is running around the ship somewhere. Joffy, his son, who is, of course, lost somewhere. Dargo's overriding thing is to find his son, Joffy. It, it, it just occurred to me that... They barely established this, like, a couple episodes ago. Um, That this episode doesn't establish who Joffy is. It expects you to know that Dargo's story is he's looking for his son. Ah. But yes, Dargo thinks he sees Joffy running around, and Rigel thinks he's shrinking. Which I like, right? Because Rigel is already teeny tiny. So, but apparently he he worries about being teeny tinier. Which, fine. Yeah. I mean, it works. It keeps everyone out of the plot. Yeah. It keeps everyone out of the plot with minimal hassle, in my opinion. Yeah. Joffy calls uh, Darko daddy. Okay, so I guess that establishes it. Yeah, he's like, daddy, help me as he's being hustled off by peacekeepers. And Dargo's like, I have no questions about this. 
Well, I mean, there are people literally in their brains. Mm. Although we're rewatching Community. Yeah. And I did just rewatch the episode where John Hodgman tries to convince them that they were actually in an insane asylum instead of at a community college. <laughs> and then Annie's like, wait, I'm literally wearing a Greendale backpack. And we have all of these pictures on our phones. Shirley's like, I'm a mom. If I was locked up, I would know. People would notice. Like, how did you honestly <laughs> expect that was going to work? I mean, honestly, John Hodgman's character, Dr. Heidi, should be excited that it worked for the 60 seconds that it worked. Which... I posted a very long rant on my Twitter recently about why Normal Again is the worst episode of Buffy. Ugh. Because it's the worst plot. Like, it is a credit to Community that they pulled it off in an episode and made it good. Well, I mean, to be fair, Community is skewering that that plot. Yes. So. I mean, as, it, as long-time listeners who have been with us since the Once Upon a Time days may remember, I did actually like it when they did it in Once Upon a Time. Because we saw it from a third-party perspective, where Emma was the one who was trapped in the asylum illusion, but the story was from Henry's point of view, and he was just like, this is, this is so, so dumb. This is such a worn-out cliche. Come on. Come on. I think you might be interested when we get to the episode, Won't Get Fooled Again. Is this also, is someone using brain magic to trick John into thinking that he's in, a, in, a, in an asylum and we get to see Dargo's actor out of his prosthetics. Uh, not a s- neither of those things. All right. Yes, neither of those things. I uh, I also liked that the magicians episode that had Quentin locked in an insane asylum. Quentin was onto it too. Yeah, I don't love that episode because it was still a lot of the, you know, things I hate about that trope. But I do like how he was like, no, I've seen TV before. I know how this works. And I do like how he got out of it. Spoilers for very early into The Magicians, but there's a psychic member of his friend group Uh who really, really hates Taylor Swift. And he gets out of it by leading everyone in the illusion in a performance of Shake It Off. Which gets his psychic friend's attention because his psychic friend hates Taylor Swift and is very tuned into when people are thinking about her music. Yes, I... Okay, I'm gonna bump up by, like, a letter grade any episode of Magicians that features music. I love what they do with music in The Magicians. And so that episode just gets bumped up for me just because of the Shake It Off scene. Yes. And, I mean, the episode where they do all of the 80s power ballads, which you have not gotten to yet, but, oh my god, love it. Farscape. Farscape. So, uh, Zan and Turlene are gonna get it on. Okay, I don't get what about Zan's conversation with High Priest Guy made her think this was a good idea. Okay, well, so we cut the line out, but because we were too busy making fun of Zan's very, very bad question. But he says, yes, she will use it to hurt people, but she might also use it to free a planet from tyranny. So Zan decides to give Turlene, you know, like the thing you pour soup into. A Turin? I'm just saying it's it's not a great name. But she decides to give her her powers by having, having sex with her. forehead sex. Well, that's all Delvians have as far as sex goes. They're brain breeders. 
then why did they have the other bits? Um, or is Se- I don't know that they do have the other bits. Hmm. I mean, that one guy seemed pretty horrified when Zan took off her robe that one time in front of him. Yeah, but I mean, we didn't see anything. That's true. I, in fact, I would guess, since this is how they have sex, that they, they don't have genitals that match human genitals. Hmm. So, uh, is all of Zan's aggressive sexualness just i don't know i don't want to say teasing but like haha surprise i don't have any genitals want want well i mean <laughs> genital mashing isn't the only way to have sex that is true that is true but i mean i feel like you'd get a bad reception if you just ran in if uh, she was like oh look at me naked and then just started headbutting you <laughs> Like, it's, there's, there's, I feel like there's a really big sexual incompatibility thing between Delvians and other species. Why isn't this working? Thud, 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 thud. Okay, so, thank you for that image. But also, again, spoilers for the end of this episode, but Xan is totally going to have sex with John in this episode. Oh, right. Because <laughs> John's open-minded. Yeah, okay. Also, also, <laughs> since we're talking about this, it kind of is making me think of Demolition Man, where when uh, Lenina and John, that character's also named John, mm. when Lenina and John Spartan are... Uh, Sandra Bullock and Rambo. Yes. Are about to get it on, and he's like, yay, future sex is awesome! And then they, like, put on that, and then she, like, hands him this helmet, and he's like... What is this? And she's like, in the future, all sex is cyber sex, and we do it with helmets. And he's like, no, no, uh uh-uh. I bet that movie hasn't aged great. Probably not. I mean, speaking of OK Boomer. Yeah, yeah. So I I have to say, um, I saw someone on Twitter who was watching Demolition Man, I think for the first time, and they were like, Okay, I really thought Lenina was going to turn out to be John Spartan's daughter because there's a kind of dropped plot about his wife and daughter being him wanting to look up where his wife and daughter are, mm-hmm. but then they never pursue that. And John Spartan. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hi, I'm Admiral Themestater. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in Snow Crash, the main character's name is Hero Protagonist. I'm not making that up. Do we never hear his name? In Snow Crash? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking Snowpiercer. I'm sorry. I'm like, that's not the main <laughs> character's name in Snowpiercer. No, no. In Snow Crash. Okay. Um, I, I was about to make a joke about someone being named, like, John main character, but... Pure protagonist. I mean, John Spartan is pretty, you know... On the nose? Yeah. It's... he's His name is Manly Manford or whatever. Yes. John Spartan. Okay, but I was going to say, um, this person who was talking about thinking that Lenina was probably going to be... His daughter. His daughter. I am still convinced that in an early draft, she was. And the reason they had helmet sex instead of, like, body <laughs> sex is so that you're not freaked out when you find that out. Ugh. Still pretty freaky, though. Yes. Yes, it is. So I, I thought the Demolition Man, like, he went way into the future, not just, like, a little into the future. I thought it was like a hundred years. Oh, maybe I thought she was his granddaughter or something. Yeah. I I thought she was his descendant, though. Yeah. 
I don't remember how far he went into the future. I have really, really, I'm pretty sure I saw it at some point, but I have such vague memories of it. I actually, I actually had that on video and it was one of the movies I watched uh, pretty often. Oh, so he was, he was frozen in 1996 Mm -hmm. and was reanimated in the distant year of 2032. Uh-huh. Which means that we are closer to where he woke up than to where he was put in. God. It kind of reminds me of this thing about how about how David Mamet stuff kind of aged badly because it started out as a send-up of, you know, the manly men getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. And then he became a hardcore right-wing person and it's like, oh, oh, guess it's not really a send-up of that at all. Yeah. You know, the scene in Glengarry Glen Ross where he's like, you know, fuck your dying daughter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I feel like the culture moved faster than the thing he was sending up, which is always a danger. Mm. Yeah. Pose law. Oh, um, as long as we're speaking about on the nose names, though, the rest of the names from Demolition Man. I mean, I mentioned that Sandra Bullock's character is Lenina, but I didn't tell you her name is Lenina Huxley. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And um, Wesley Snipe, the villain, is named Simon Phoenix. I remember that because he comes back. Because he comes back. And um, Dennis Leary's character is named Edgar Friendly. Farscape. It's weird how we cut off a lesbian sex scene to talk for an extended time period about, about a Sylvester Stallone action movie. That is weird, now that you mention it. All right, so Farscape... I'm going to say the thing that's terrible about this sex scene and then all the things I love about it. Okay. When they merge. Merge. <laughs> right over our bed, just a sign that says merge. You get it? Because merge. When they merge, there's a sound cue that is the Star Trek transporter sound. <laughs> and that's such a distinctive sound. You can't just repurpose it in other science fiction shows. You mean like you can't just have the Kill Bill siren as a regular siren in a, in universe somewhere? Yes, yes. I mean, honestly, I keep it, I keep recognizing the uh, Wilhelm scream. Oh no, it's the uh, noise that the that X Men Evolution used for Jean's telekinesis. I hear it in other things, and it just oh. sends me back to that immediately. Yeah, but I'm sure other people have different associations with that particular noise. But the thing I like is, okay, so from this interview I was reading about this episode, they ran out of money to do Unity the way they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I think considering that they had no money for it, I'm impressed with kind of their workaround, which was just to merge the images of them over each other. It's fine. It's like blue overlay over blue overlay over blue overlay. It's fine. But they had no money. It's impressive when they had no money. I guess. Yes. They wanted to make a prosthetic of them, like, going into each other, Mm. and then that didn't work, so then they were going to do a thing where we lock down the camera and, like, spin it all around and make them look like they merged into each other, but they didn't have the money for that either, so they just overlaid the film. And you know what? I think it it worked fine for... It's fine. And unlike some other stuff, it's not like it aged poorly, because it's just all gauzy and overlay. Yeah. A lot of sci-fi stuff aged poorly, but not this. Big Flaming O's better. Well, sure, but you you like the big flame, you know, more than any sex scene. It's true. It's your favorite sex scene. It is my favorite sex scene. 
because it's good. It's you feel the connection between these two characters, even though they're fully clothed and you know barely touching. <laughs> back when we still did podcasts, uh, people who listen to our Once Upon a Time will know this. But back when we still started our podcast with clips from other things. We started one episode with just the sound from the big flaming O episode of Buffy. And when it's just the sound isolated from any image, it's it just sounds like porn. Like, it's well, I mean, obscene. It's scored much better than porn. Yes, obviously. but it sounds explicit. It sounds explicitly sexual. Yes. Which is weird because there's not like a lot of moaning and gasping until the end. But like, it's just... Two women talking in unison, you know, as this very gentle music plays. And it works because they have chemistry. It's still like, Apple's going to take this off. They had biology, too. (laughs) My word. Yeah. So. Zan pulls away and she's like, ah, you ripped a part of me away. Yeah. So instead of like looking in Zan's head and like reading the instruction manual for how to not give in to the darkness, she just yoinked it out of Zan. Which is bad because now Zan is giving in to the darkness because she doesn't have the moral, chewy moral center that she developed over 17 years. Well, yeah, she doesn't have the calm that she had. Yeah. Which, I'm sorry, doesn't that just seem like a really bad idea on What's-Her-Bucket's part? Yeah, right? Especially considering, well, yeah. So... Not to go too deep nerd, but it kind of reminds me of... You know how in the lead up to the Dark Phoenix saga, Mastermind spent months stripping Jean, like uh, psychically, psychically influencing her and one by one breaking down her mental barriers and stripping away her moral core so that she'd, you know, feel comfortable doing evil shit. And then she's like, oh, you've been manipulating me for months. I'm going to go ape shit on you. Like, well, I mean... You, if you're stripping away someone way more powerful than you's moral core, you remove the thing that's stopping them from just murdering you. Well, I mean, this is a story that I like where, and this is where this story is going to go too, where through hubris or, or some something like hubris, the person who is stripping away this person's power doesn't realize that the power will be turned on them. It's like, Or every story where someone tries to take the phoenix from Rachel Summers and every time they end up just blowing up when it goes into them because they weren't built to handle it. Well, I think about the vampire hunters in Angel when they charge Caritas and Fred's line where she says, if you hand someone a weapon, you better be sure you know where they're going to aim it. Yes. God, Fred was so great. Fred was great. So Zan tells John, you know, she's... She's got the she's got the darkness now. She talks about how I don't like how they say they keep on talking about it like insanity, but yeah, I, I've been I've been very specifically saying darkness instead of madness, but they do say madness. Which darkness would work better? I know nineties everyone's ableist all the time. Yeah, but she. Oh, she encounters John and she's all grabbing his face and she's like, I spent 17 years learning not to kill people and now that's all gone. Blah, 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 blah. Well, and John says, quite rightly, I think, you learned not to kill people while you were locked up in Peacekeeper Prison. You're in, like, Delvey and Church now. You think you can figure it out in Delvey and Church? <laughs> so, John goes out looking for giant hat priest man. No, she's, he's looking for Tillian. 
Oh, sorry. So John's looking for Talene so that he can yell at her for ripping out Zan's chewy moral center. Yes. And uh, instead he encounters... Uh, what's her face? Blonde lady. Alex. Alex. And Alex is like, oh, John, you don't have to worry about Zan. You just have to worry about, like, putting it in me. I, I totally want to have sex with you as long as you're not thinking of Zan. You're not thinking of Zan, are you, John? And John's like, what? Well, her goal is to get him to get back on the ship and leave Zan behind. She's like, Zan wants to be with her people. Let's get out of here. Go to your ship and fly away. Although this really reminds me of, it, it really, really made me think of the way Anya gets jealous of Buffy and the group. She's like, you're always running off to rescue other people and save other people. Why can't you just be my boyfriend, my husband for a minute? Husband in this case, because she made John think that they're married. Oh, okay. I was like... Yeah, Anya and Xander never got married. Thank goodness, because Xander Harris. All right, so Pilot calls John and is like, hey, John, everybody's like bad here. Pilot's like, everyone here is suffering from delusions Aaron thinks her gun is falling apart, and Dargo thinks his son is here, and Rigel thinks he's teeny tiny. More so. Uh. Yeah, right? Yeah, Pilot needs to get a dig in on Rigel even now. Like, stuff is bad, and Pilot's like, Rigel. I don't get why this is the tack non-Alex is taking. Like, being like, John, don't you love me more than Zan? Don't you want to come back to the spaceship with me and let Zan be happy with the people instead of just focusing on changing the memory? So Zan's like, I'm super cool here, John, and definitely not going evil. Go back up to the ship. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Like, wouldn't that be the way to go? Well, I mean, if she was good at what she did, she wouldn't be living in exile. Point. So John goes to the root so that he can confront Taylene. Mm, as one does. As one does. Okay, here's the thing, though. He's like, you're a bad priest. This is a bad religion. And I don't disagree with him. I don't think it's a bad religion. I do think she's a bad priest. Well, I mean... I guess her offshoot of the religion is bad. Yeah, but what I mean is he believes that any religion must be good. And I mean, this one is, and she is a bad priest, but it's like, John, let me introduce you to history. Mm. The Crusades. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Uh, anyway, Charlene's pissed, and as soon as John leaves, she she tells she tells Lorana like just like scramble his brain, like just just get him out. He he is underfoot, and I don't like it. So Lorena goes after him as Alex again. She's like, "Are are you having sex with Zan? Do you love Zan more than me? Why won't you just come back with me up to Moya?" And he's like. Yeah, no, this is bullshit. Like, you're clearly just a mind illusion. No, okay, wait, no, no, I like this. Because what he says to her is he's like, they're messing with our minds, Alex. I think they might be messing with your mind. God. (laughs) And then we, this is what I was saying about them being married. He like, for a second, he remembers. He's like, wait, we didn't get married because that dream I had reminded me i didn't propose to you and then we see her like changing his memory in real time so that now he thinks that he did propose to her and she did say yes and they did get married yes i just why are you trusting anything that goes on you know they can change does he know that they can change i guess he doesn't know that they can change memories yeah no one has told him that they can change memories you know at the end when zan's like i figured out a way to protect him you know what a good way to protect him would have been Warn him that they can change his memories. Seriously. 
So up on the surface, Trelene is having an argument with old man where she's like, you think that you can face me, but your power is nothing compared to mine. You're just a toothless, insane old man. And I've got the power to kill people with my brain now. Yeah. Well, and also she realizes that he has not actually given into the darkness. So she like sucks out his sanity, killing him. As one does. Yes. And like just keeping herself semi-lucid for a little bit longer. Okay. So back in the temple, John is trying to convince Zan to come back to Moya. And he mentions Alex and Zan is like, who? And John's like, oh no, they changed your memory and erased the memory of Alex. For crying out loud, John. Yeah. Why would that be the... (sighs) And then he gets on his pissy horse and he's like, "Mm, you're just going to kill her like you killed that guy. And she's like... Yeah, the guy who's tried to sell our planet to the peacekeepers. And he's like, you didn't have that part of the memory transferred over to me. She's like, hmm, yeah, that's that probably would have been the thing to do. I mean, she told him. <laughs> oh, but yeah, she's she's going to do unity with Terlene again. She's going to because whatever Terlene ripped away from her, it wasn't enough. So she's going to tell Terlene that it's so that she can get everything. But in actuality, it's going to be to kill her. And it doesn't seem like this is the sort of thing you need unity to do. I mean, you killed the wizard guy without unity. I guess you kind of, I mean, she had that dude backing her up, but that wasn't unity, was it? Well, no, no, she needs to do unity. She's, she's going to tell Terlene that she's going to allow her to like strip out the piece of her brain that keeps her from giving into the darkness. Cause like a piece of it's still in there to knock them out. I'm just saying if she's going to just kill Terlene, why doesn't she just kill Terlene? Oh, oh, you're saying she killed Maldus without doing unity? Yeah. Okay, so I'm pretty sure when she killed Maldus, and and remember, she didn't kill him. She just dispersed him. She mostly killed him. But he'll get better. Yes. When she killed Maldus, she was doing unity with the pink guy. Yes. So I think that she needed to be doing that to do it. She needs to have brain sex to murder someone. Yes, yes, she's she's a sex criminal. She she needs to be in the orgasm space, like in the comic Sex Criminals, where when they have orgasms, time freezes so that they can rob banks. I should catch up on that series. Yes. I, I really like the first volume. And it's done now. Oh. So you can read everything. Yeah, so basically Zan can only kill someone whilst in the midst of an orgasm. But we learned from Maldus that it doesn't have to be an orgasm with the person she's killing. Hmm. Yeah. But I think only if that person is also a level nine Pau, which that guy was. This is just very, very specific. Well, it's basically a magical power. Magical powers tend to be pretty specific. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the question is, why is what's her bucket going to believe this? But yeah, no. Yeah. Oh boy, this definitely isn't a trick. No trap. Sure, you were all, you know, honked off in a homicidal last time I saw you after I ripped away your essence, but I'm sure you're totally cool now. Also, like, I removed your moral core, so I definitely believe you now when you say that you're going to give me something and not kill me. <sighs> Turling is not a bright character. Nope. So, Al- so not Alex approaches John and, you know... <sighs> 
it it's revealed that to him that all of this is bullshit. Yeah, she's like, John, I'm not really Alex. And he's like, yes, you are. It's just the Delvians fucking with your brain. And she's like, nope, wrong. Well, right, but from the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, close, close, but no cigar. <laughs> so, yeah, she she turns she turns back into Lorana. And, okay, then she tells John that, like, being inside his sweet, sweet memories made her a better person. Because, like, he reminded her of her idealism. Okay, so this is a bard thing. This is definitely a bard thing. She, like, had straight, unfiltered bard pumped directly into her brain. And she's like, you know what you need to do? You need to go pump some of that bard into Xan. I did not mean that one to be that dirty. Some of them No I, one did. It's just happening. Some of them I did mean to be that dirty, but that one I did not. Yeah, and he... And she's like, look, I caught horniness for Xan from your brain, and I can't stand having Garglamel, Zerlina. Turlene. Turlene. God, why can't I get that? <laughs> I can't I can't help feeling that Turlene killing her will be a bad thing because I got brain boners from her from spending so much time in your skull. So go save the woman we love. And John's like... Has that ever been my relationship? Was you know what? Fine, whatever. John's like that's a very complex motivation, but yeah, okay, I will go do that. Is getting secondhand horny a complex motivation? Well, it's complex in that she wants him to bang the idealism back into Zan, so that Zan doesn't kill Terlene. Not because she wants to rescue Terlene, but because she wants to save. Zan's moral core. I feel like that's a complex motivation. I, I don't think that there was a point to dude V and being in this episode. Well, he shows up on the in this really weird scene where he just shows up on the communicator to tell Aaron and Rigel and Dargo that he took off the brain whammy and uh, please don't come down to the planet. Thanks. Like that very easily could have been what's your face. This very easily could have not happened. Yes, point. After Aaron went to the ship, that could have been it. Like, we didn't need any of this because we didn't need... I mean, there there doesn't need to be an explanation as to why they wouldn't come down. Right. Like, Zan's going through something. John's giving her guidance. They'll come back up when they're done. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, back in the temple... Lorana is telling Turlene that John and Zan have gone up to the surface to try to, like, flag down Moya so that she can get Turlene out of the temple so that, because I, I guess this is the only space where you can have sex, so that John and, and Diane Zan can come to this spot and have sex. God. And Turlene, having no concept of what a bad idea it is to piss off your very few allies, gives this speech about how, like, to not Alex, she's like, you know, I was just using you because you were here and you were pleasurable for the moment. But now I have bigger plans and I've outgrown my little play thing. And it's like, do you really not see how this is going to backfire on you? Okay, so it's implied that Trilene, if she gets the powers that she's trying to get from Zan, will go back to Delvia eventually and not just overthrow the peacekeepers, but install herself as a dictator like that's why we get to not root for her Mm -hmm. 
No pun intended. Yes. Roots. Um, but she can't even keep the three people she's living with on her side. Seriously, how does she think she's going to run a planet? Like, everyone turned on her on the drop of a hat. She's going to be terrible at this. Oh, she's she's terrible at I'm, this. I'm assuming we don't see her again. We do not see her again. So we're back in the main room, the main root room. Yeah. And uh, John's like, hey, Zan, let's do Unity, you and I. And she's like, yeah, no, no. And John's like, okay, but what if? Yes. If I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and me together. I'm assuming that if I was given this power, I would also have the power to add letters and I would add me as a letter into the alphabet. <laughs> he, he, that, he That's a joke from Daisy Owl. I didn't make that up. Oh, okay. Also, you should read Daisy Owl. It's hilarious. When, when Zan's like, yeah, you're too weak to have sex with me, John calls her a chicken. He, he makes the clucking noise. A cock, a Has anyone on this planet even seen a chicken? <laughs> what do you think chicken translated to for Zan? Like, there, do you think there's a coward bird in every culture? I think there's like a coward noise in every culture. Also, how weird is it that chickens are like the go-to coward thing for us? I don't think of chickens as cowards. They are mean, nasty birds. They are. Oh, now I'm wondering if other cultures have, like, a different animal noise that they think of as cowardly. I mean, it would make sense. Yeah. Honestly, it should be. I guess mice don't really make noise, but it should be. M- mice should be the thing for being afraid. There's <laughs> a mouse skittering noise. Mm. <laughs> yeah, chicken never made any sense. Yeah. I never really thought about it, but yeah, that's nonsense. Huh. Okay. So John and Zan are going to do unity so that she can take back her moral core or whatever. Yeah, okay, so we talked about how in the time loop episode, John destroyed her... Plate thing, her her soul plate. Her soul plate three times. And in, in, you know, in three different loops. And it was suggested by a listener that, that other Farscape fans have suggested that this is symbolic of three times that John will kill Zan. So to speak. So to speak. The first time, in my opinion, being when she goes had, dark. Had, and had to kill that guy. Yeah. And Maldus. And I think this might be the second time. Hmm. Because when they do Unity, and she's like, I, I don't have myself anymore. And John tells her, like, look at yourself the way I see you. Like, take the self that I see and make that be you. Okay, so there was this kind of fucked up storyline in the 90s Titans run. Mm-hmm. Where Donna Troy was killed or destroyed or something by someone. And... She ends up getting remade by the gods from memories they take from Roy Harper. Mm-hmm. And she's really freaked out by that because she's like, I don't know if this is what I was actually like, if this is what Donna Troy actually was, or if this is just your image of who Donna Troy was. Like, I can't trust any of my emotions because am I just reacting the way you thought Donna would react in these situations? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and that's why I'm classifying this one as a death. Mm. Because now Zan is the person that John thinks that she is because she's rebuilt her mind from his perception of her. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's kind of a stretch. I mean, in actuality, it's, it's more likely that she saw John sees me as strong, so I can take his strength from that. Yeah. But. You can make the argument that she is a different per. She's emerging from this unity, a different person. Yeah. So John's going to destroy the energy root. Yeah. Is this just symbolic or does it actually do something to the other Delvian's powers? Um, well, they said they get their strength and their power from it. But to be honest, until you asked me that question, I hadn't thought about whether that was symbolic or actual. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not like Zan has a power root that she needs to our knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's symbolic. It's it's the symbolic root. But yeah, Zan's like, I'm good now. Go, go chop up that root. Yeah. Which he does. He he starts wailing on the root. Where did he get that axe? That's a very good question. That was bothering me so much when I was watching this episode. I'm like, where did you get an axe? But whatever. He, I mean, I guess. I mean, if they have gardening supplies, it's not out of the realm of possibility, I guess, that they'd have an axe. Yeah, I guess that's true. Anyway, Terlene's like, I will go into your head and fuck you up if you don't stop. She's like, I got the power to kill people with my brain from Xan, and I don't have to use sex to do it, I guess. Well, and then she tries to do it, and... Xan's like, you know, unity works two ways, right? Like, I got all of your brain power, so I can just cancel them out, because I'm better at this than you are. Okay, okay, except she doesn't say she's better. She says that she took some of Terlene... And she leveled up. Now she's a level 10 Pa'u. Ding. <laughs> God. I have plus four to wisdom and plus seven to dexterity. Look at me go. Yeah, yeah, Zan leveled up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, now, now, uh. Okay, so it turns out that the old priest was Terlene's father. Yeah, they mentioned, she mentioned that when she killed him. Okay, so now that he's dead, she's the head priest, which it seemed like she was already the head priest after he lost it. Yeah, but now she has to go tend the orchard because they destroyed the roots, so now she has to go grow another one. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, because here's the deal. The whole point, the reason that we're given to understand that this sect became evil is because they were always looking for shortcuts. Mm. Because they were trying to find a shortcut way to be strong, to be powerful. But with the roots, there's no way to rush that. Like, they need another root, and all they can do is try to grow them in this toxic soil. And however long that takes is how long that takes. So they've lost the ability to take shortcuts. So either they'll die out because they can't grow another root, or they'll learn the patience that they need to learn. Okay. I feel like they should have explained what the roots do better, because I still don't know how they re- how the roots relate to their powers or... Do the roots keep them alive or what? They need the root. Just just uh, go with they need the root. Okay, fine. So John has a sad, if only we could be together, face touch with... Uh, Lorana. With Lorana, which I guess is the equivalent of a handy J in terms of Delphian sex. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know, for an episode that's so, like, wrestling with moral quandaries, it is really horny. Yeah. And, you know... That's it. Yeah, well, we have one last moment where Zan, like, leaves behind her vestments, 
which could also be seen as a death. Like, we could see this as the death instead of the unity, because she feels like after everything that went down here, she is not Apollo anymore. Yeah, and John's like, oh, come on, your religion's not a total toilet fire. Also, he's like, you're a better Apollo than she was. <laughs> and Zane's like, it's time for me to evolve into something else, which, what? I mean, you said you leveled up. That like you're like I'm a level ten Pau now, and then you're like actually never mind I'm not a Pau Pau at all. Although I'm willing to bet that in later episodes she's like I'm a Pau. Yeah, she totally is. So what the fuck was the point of that? Yeah, as she said, flag on the play. Okay, so I wanted to like that episode much more than I did, but God, it just kept going. I wanted you to like that episode. Also, there's a lot less repetition in this episode than there are in other Farscape episodes. That's true. That's true, but for some reason, this one just seemed to drag. Wow. Okay, so here's the thing. Zan is not my favorite character. She does a lot of things that piss me off, uh, especially coming up later. There's there's one particular moment where I'm just, like, so angry at her. Mm-hmm. Um, But I like this episode, and you liking Zan. I was like, oh, good, it's a Zan episode, <laughs> and, and this one didn't do it for you. So we must like different aspects of Zan. I mean, honestly, there were stu- there was stuff in this that would have worked, but just Cotton Candy here was not a good villain. And, like, it felt too not focused. Like, talking about it was better because it, it draws attention to, okay, character A wants this for reason B or whatever. But, like, while the episode was going, it just feels so meandering. Hmm. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, so what have we got next? So, uh, the next episode we have is The Flax. Mm-hmm. While in a transport pod piloting lesson with Aaron, Crichton gets caught in an energy field which is invisible to their sensors. Back on Moya, a strange guest boards to warn the crew about The Flax, an invisible energy net created to catch ships. Lose all my sensors. It's just that easy to not see. Oh, baby, baby. So there's a thing in the flax coming up that I'm... There's there's one line at the end of the flax that I feel like is kind of transphobic coming up, so... Oh, boy. It is the 90s. It is the 90s. So just warning (sighs) about that. It's just like one quick line at the end, but it, it, it... To speak in this episode's defense... I do like the casualness of queer relationships in this episode. Yeah. Like, I mean, granted, it's, there's an evil bisexual character. But I do like how no one really draws attention to the fact that their, you know, mating thing is equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah. They, like, they, are, they are truly gender blind. Yes, which is nice. Yes. So I guess that'll about bring us to our segments. Yeah. So uh, the first segment that we have is Strange Alien Creatures. That's the second segment. We'll do it first. (laughs) Oh, wait. That's our second segment. Whatever. Let's do it first. So that is which puppets or alien life or costuming did you really like this episode? I mean, I really liked it was only for the one scene, but the like plant animal thing that John was really excited about eating. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. looked cool. It and, did look cool. And it looked like something you could feasibly find in the ocean, because the ocean is horrifying. It also looked both alien, but I could eat it without being freaked out, hmm. which I think is important. And and we didn't talk about this, but in one of the segments when they were on the ship, 
Rigel mentioned, because he had eaten some of the stuff that Aaron had brought on board, that he was, like, into it. He was like, go get more of these. It is delicious. <laughs> For me, I really liked the Delvian's makeup here. The hair is a little something, but... I did like the variation of kind of gold. Yeah, so Xan has cheekbones that are kind of done with, like, yellow highlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they actually had, like, gold leaf highlights on the cheekbones of these Delvians. And it is a great look. Like, if there was a Delvian who did makeup tutorials on YouTube, I would watch it. So this might spill over into the other segment a little bit, but I did also like the outfits the Delvians had. Not so much... Uh, either of the dudes but the one that wasn't evil lorana lorana's dress looked really cool i mean they they were all just basically different takes on this sort of blue and gold robe and hers looked really cool yeah and you know what i kind of liked how you could see that this is what zan is going for with her outfits but that she's wearing like whatever she can throw together and it kind of felt like if you knew more about Delvian culture, you would be able to tell about their positions in this religion by how they're dressed. Yeah. Well, and as you said, that kind of leads into our next segment, which is a distant part of the universe. And that's what world building did you like in this episode? Which, I'm honestly, I might be projecting a lot, but it is the Delvian outfits. I really liked the way that they do colonizing, where they land the ship and then the ship burrows into the earth and becomes their habitat Mm. i thought that was pretty cool and it's a nice like concise way of doing it yes it's it's resource efficient and our final segment is just looking for a way home which is what in this episode moved you if anything yeah not really a ton i i wanted to like this episode much more than i did I feel like we should have spent more time with Zan. I don't like how Zan feels like a footnote in an episode that should be all about her. Okay. It feels like we spend more time, way more time with John than with her. Uh, honestly, it feels like she has almost equal screen time to all three of the characters up on the ship. Like, she should be the focal point of this episode, and she's really not until the end. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this would have been better on a streaming platform where we could have just not had some people in this episode uh, and and i think it kind of speaks to that that for me the moment is when john is being yeah when john is really into the alien creature that is probably the emotional highlight of the episode and it's such a minor thing that doesn't really matter i mean it, it matters because it highlights that John is an idealist, which is going to be what he uses to save Zan in this episode. But again, um, like you said, that centers John and not Zan. Yeah. Also, it establishes the main villain's power. That's true. That too. But yeah, I mean, the the emotional highlight of a Zan episode shouldn't be John being excited about something. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But since I prefer John and Aaron to Zan, I, I guess that's why it worked for me. <laughs> and I think that'll about do it for this week. Yeah, so that's it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maricruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. 
If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode of any television show, you should head over to our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>